The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Okay, so now to, to turn to, to Taisho. Um, it's the 26th of sem- September 2020 and um, we've, been, we, we've been spending this and last Taisho um, looking at the, at the two referendums that are coming up and we, last time we looked at the one um, around um, voluntary euthanasia and, and today we're going to look at the uh, cannabis uh, law reform which we'll get a chance to vote on both of these in, in the election on the 17th of October and um, with, these, with both of these um, shows what I've basically been trying to do is raise some of the questions that that can be asked around these two issues uh, rather than than um, tell anybody h- how they should vote but just to to bring up some of the some of the the, um, the, the questions that arise um, and it, each we're interesting because each relates to one of the ten cardinal precepts, um, the euthanasia to the first precept of not to kill, and the cannabis um, legislation to the fifth one, not to cause others to take intoxicants nor to do so myself, um, but to keep the mind clear. And uh, the the word that's used in the original um, is not to sell intoxicants. Um, so it's to, sort of to deal in them that we're working with here. Um, the the most um, say broad um, version of this precept occurs in the um, in the Juju Kinka, which is part of the Cohen curriculum, and um, it's formulated like this. It's called the One Mind Precept. Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. In the intrinsically pure Dharma, not allowing the mind to become dark through ignorance is called the precept of refraining from taking intoxicants, not to allow the mind to become dark. So this is this is really um, the broadest sort of understanding of this precept. So the question that is going to appear on our on our ballot papers is: Do you support the proposed cannabis legislation and control bill? And then we've got to reply to either yes or no to that, or not make any mark at all. We, if, uh, we don't either think yes or no. And this is it's a non-binding referendum, which means that after the election, um, the government can choose uh, to introduce legislation. Um, but there would be there would be another round of, of uh, feedback. In other words, presumably couldn't quite gather, but probably a select committee process, so that it's not fixed, completely fixed, the way the other one is, the euthanasia one. Um, so in 
in looking at what is being proposed, the details that could change um, after the election. And it is it is a complex issue. I didn't don't feel I've by any means wrapped my mind around all of the dis different issues with it. Um, and we'll, we'll look at what the, the bill says um, in a minute. But um, first of all, just to clear up what we're talking about when we talk about cannabis. Um, we're talking here about what's sometimes called recreational cannabis. And this is the, the uh, type of leaf or resin that has as its active ingredient THC. So it's, THC is a, um, this, this, this plant has many, many chemicals in it. Um, but this one is the psychoactive ingredient. It's the one that gets you high. And it's, it has quite high levels in, um, varying levels in the, the plant that people sell and put in their joints. It does not have anything to do with medicinal cannabis, which has a different active ingredient that's also present in the first, but it doesn't make you high. It's called CBD. And usually the medicinal is low, quite low in THC the psychoactive part, and not talking about hemp either, which is now legal to grow, just as the medicinal cannabis is legal here now. Um, it's, it's, it's legal to grow this, and, and uh, it, people sell it, use it for, fi for, for fiber and um, for its high-protein seeds, which is sold as a kind of health food. So just first to have a have a brief brief look at what the bill says. So it legalizes it like legalizes restricted access to cannabis. So you have to be um, over 20 to have it or consume it, and uh, you'd be able to, as the bill stands, the moment you'd be able to buy up to 14 grams of dried cannabis um, per day. Um, it's it's quite a lot. I I have these little weights at home, and um, it's quite a good volume of leaf. That that 14 grams, you know, it doesn't. It's about half an ounce. Um, you'd be able to go into licensed premises that would sell cannabis um, and you'd be allowed to consume it on private property um, and you'd be allowed to grow up to two plant plants per person or the maximum four per household and you could share your cannabis, your 14 grams of cannabis with somebody else who was also over 20. And the statement that, the, that is made on the referendum site, the official government re referendum site, is the bill's purpose is to reduce harm to people and communities. So I think one of the things that arises in looking at this is seeing what the bill says and, and asking, does it reduce harm to people and communities? Um, that, that's one of the questions. And, and there are people, of course, on both sides. And it says the bill intends to reduce cannabis-related harm to individuals, whānau, and communities by 
providing access to legal cannabis that meets quality and potency requirements. So they're going to set the level of potency that's allowed because uh, one of the, the findings is that higher potency is more harmful. Um, eliminate legal, illegal supply, um, raise awareness about the health risks, restrict young people's access to cannabis, limit public visibility of it, um, require health warnings on packaging, um, improve health and social services and other kinds of support, and to make sure that any breach of the law is fair. And so sometimes people ask, well, why not just decriminalize it? In other words, stop having the, the um, um, criminal charges laid against people who, who, who possess cannabis or smoke it. And one of the reasons that given that that's not enough is that it, you can't, unless it's, it's legalized, you can't regulate it because the supply part would still be unregulated or um, uncontrolled. And so with the control of the production and supply, then um, they would be able to, they say, limit the total amount of licensed cannabis for sale, control the potency, um, apply a tax which would then be used to um, um, finance the, the efforts to um, uh, address the harm from the can cannabis use and, the, and uh, provide drug, and drug services, um, addiction services to those who became addicted and so forth. Which has always seemed a little, um, a little sort of strange to to um, allow something to happen and then then collect money in order to um, mitigate its its harms, but but um, it's what what already happens, I guess, now with with alcohol and tobacco. Another thing that they would do is um, um, separate businesses that are allowed to grow cannabis um, from those that would be um, selling it. I guess this is aimed at um, avoiding there being uh, monopolies on, on uh, um, sales. So that's just a little bit about, um, about the content of the, of the bill. And I guess the government's providing it to us in this form so we can have some sense of what we are agreeing to or disagreeing with, rather than something quite vague. Um, as I said, the, there are strong voices saying, yes, adopt this, and then there are um, equally strong voices saying no. Um, among the organisations saying yes of the New Zealand Drug Foundation, which have been for 30 years engaged in debate over drug issues and have, have um, um, made some strong stands around alcohol and tobacco. And they're saying yes. Um, Helen Clark, which is the former Prime Minister, and um, she, she um, 
patron of a foundation of, in her name, Helen Clark Foundation, which um, has produced a, a paper on the bill, which um, is it's a, it's very nuanced. I'd really um, recommend to people that you that you take a look at it. Um, it, it really makes an effort to present the the the, um, the nuances of um, the situation around cannabis. Um, another person who says yes is uh, Dr. Hinemoa Elder. She's um, she's a youth forensic psychiatrist um, with quite quite a lot of Maori whakapapa, and um, she she works with young with young people obviously, and. Um, She's had experience in her family too of drug addiction. On the no side, um, the New Zealand uh, Medical Association um, they say they say um, that it's a harmful drug. It causes a range of social and health and, and health harms, both for the individual and at community level. And um, it doesn't. The NZMA doesn't condone the use of hemp cannabis at all for recreational purposes, and opposes the legislation. And it points out that that um, the harm is especially um, great for young people. And um, they do support. The NZMA does support decriminalisation. With with uh, more money going into education and treatment programs and so forth. Um, there's also a um, a group of, of organisations who've come together under the heading "Say Nope to Dope." People may have seen their billboards around, and um, it's a it's a bunch of different organisations behind these, um, this advertising, um, including uh, Family First, a New Zealand Muslim Association, a bunch of different Christian groups and not-for-profits, um, and as well as the Sen Sensible Sentencing Trust. And um, they point to the negative consequences for people's health, um, as, as the NZMA do, and that they, they say we don't need another harmful addictive substance to be legalised. It's bad enough as it is with alcohol and tobacco. They, they um, feel it's a slippery slope and that um, the usage and the harm will increase if it's legalised. And they give the example of um, driving people uh, while driving, that this, this would go up. Um, they also point out that um, in other places, the tobacco industry and alcohol industries have, have heavily invested in marijuana sales, so it becomes uh, highly commercialised. They also mention in their literature um, a report by the WHO 
Um, and they say that the WHO does not support cannabis legalization. So I went on online and had a look at that very long report, um, which is, is uh, very medical. It goes into the, the neurochemistry of, of um, marijuana and um, the great detail about the different kinds of health and social um, ills. And you certainly um, come away from that with an with a increased understanding of, of um, the different mechanisms for harm. But I didn't see that it was actually saying anything pretty much about, about legalization. It was more talking about what we do, what we do know about it and what we, what we can say. Um, And if you're if you're into that, if you're into the into the science and the and the neurochemistry, then um, and you've got a few hours <laughs> to read it, have a have a look at that too, because it does does give makes the whole thing more concrete. Um, the, the what what we know about the neurobiology is that. Um, there are these receptors in the brain called CB1 receptor, mainly for THC, and that THC binds onto these receptors, and these receptors have to do with areas that control attention, decision-making, motivation, and memory. And then they have other effects on other neurotransmitter systems. And they say short and long-term cannabis use down-regulates these receptors in ways that may explain the short-term and long-term effects of cannabis on working memory, planning and decision-making, response speed, accuracy and latency motivation, motor coordination, mood and cognition. So widespread um, effects. Um, they also go into into the fact that there is such thing as cannabis dependence and um, there are people who feel themselves to be uh, addicted to cannabis and um, the, the, the worst health effects are to young people, um, adolescents, people whose brains are not yet fully developed and the, the heavy use and the use of high potency are also more more harmful than uh, occasional use. Um, the, the dependence is um, less than for other drugs in terms of um, percentages of users. Um, they say the risk may be about 1 in 10 among those who ever use cannabis, so they become addicted, about 1 in 6 among adolescent users and about 1 in 3 among daily users. So if, you're, if you use it daily, you're likely to be, 1 in 3 people is likely to be, um, become um, dependent, have really dependent on it, and so if they stop, they would experience withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, and they say growing evidence reveals that regular heavy cannabis use during the adolescence is associated with more severe and persistent negative outcomes than those during adulthood. 
um, so associated with all kinds of negative health psychological outcomes, early school leaving, cognitive impairment, uh, risk of use of other drugs, um, depressive symptoms, increased rates of suicidal ideation and behavior. So very dangerous if you're young and you have a still developing brain and you use it heavily. And this is one of the, um, this is one of the points where the, the two sides would disagree. The, the yes side feels that, that regulation will mean that it will be able to be kept from younger people and the, the no side fear that things will, will, will make it more um, available to young people. The, the WHO report, of course, is written by researchers, and um, they end up by saying, we need more research, <laughs> which is what scientists often will say. Um, but one, one of the arguments for more um, legalization is that if the use was out in the open more, it would be possible to do more research and to um, um, be able to study the effects more fully. As I mentioned before, one of the, the, um, the sources that I found the most interesting was the, was the one by the Helen Clark Foundation, which is um, the case for yes in the 2020 referendum. And it has three authors, Catherine Arrington, Paul Smith, and Georgia Lala. And um, this, this Helen Clark Foundation is a kind of think tank which is especially, it's not, hasn't been going that long, but it's especially interested in issues around equity, the environment, uh, women's issues. I think one of their other papers that they've put out already is on loneliness. Um, and the question that they, they, they ask is, is what would best improve health and equity rather than reducing harm? Um, Helen Clark herself personally uh, writes that she's not a supporter of cannabis use, but she believes that keeping it illegal and unregulated only leads to further harm. And this is this I think is probably the main conclusion that this, the Helen Clark Foundation comes to in their report, is that that the keeping it illegal adds to harm on top of harm. They're not the only ones who who, who mention this, but they um, provide some compelling uh, information about about the um, effects, especially on on um, on Maori. But they list a whole, a whole bunch of ways in which they feel that co current policies um, have failed. They say they've failed to pre prevent widespread use. And New Zealand is counted to be one of the places in the world with the most use of cannabis, um, including by the young who are so at risk. Um, 
that the 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 lack of legality creates um, incentives for people to go for higher higher potency products, um, which, for instance, um, with the with the synthetic products have led to people's deaths. Where there's there's not ever been a death on cannabis overdosing, but these synthetic products um, were, didn't have led to deaths. Um, they failed to recognise the complexity of the cannabis use and sale, and they point out that a lot of suppliers are not necessarily hardened criminals at all. Um, that there are multiple reasons why they may end up um, dealing in cannabis, and um, and that the, the the consequences of being um, uh, convicted of of a cannabis uh, charge can be life going on for one's whole life. Difficulty in getting employment, um, getting even getting credit, housing, and so they come to the conclusion that the penalties are more harmful than the drug use itself. Um, the New Zealand, New Zealand Drug Foundation um, says that it's. The, the legislation will put controls on the existing market. And they just say that the people who are convicted are mostly young, Māori and male. So Māori are three times more likely to get a cannabis conviction than non-Māori, two times more likely to suffer a substance abuse disorder. So it's, it's these issues around around social harm through ending up with a conviction that are seen as really important issues alongside the harm that is caused um, to a certain percentage of the population. The Drug Foundation asks the question, will legalizing adult use of cannabis lead to more people using cannabis. And they predict that it will go up slightly and then because of the novelty factor and then they expect um, that this will settle down and that in Canada a year after legalization the over, overall use patterns didn't change hardly at all and that in the US um, states which have legalized um, cannabis use in young people has decreased, which I guess is one of the main things that the, the formulators of the legislation will be hoping for. Um, the Drug Foundation says, here's the health issues that issues are more likely for people who use frequently, heavily, heavily, or use high-potency products. That's why the most important, important statistic to track after legalization will be the daily use figures rather than the yearly use. Daily use statistics are a good proxy for tracking harmful trends such as heavy use and dependence. And these, uh, for instance, have not changed in Canada um, since the legislation. They say whether or not cannabis use goes up will depend on the model we have in place. 
there are key public health interventions we know impact on use, including bans on advertising and controls on pricing. So these are put in to try and avoid um, persuading people to use use as we have the situation with with alcohol and, and um, uh, before with tobacco. Um, and I guess the question is, do you feel like this is likely to happen, or is it likely that there'll be a there'll be a change and uh, there'll be pressure to put on that, that advertising and marketing should be allowed? The Riggs Foundation says um, the Cannabis Legislation Control Bill encourages people to consume less often and consume less potent products. Um, and there will be a levy that will fund um, some um, help for those who are, who are struggling. So um, just to, to give an example, a story from this comes from the Helen Clark Foundation of, a, of what at the moment kind of thing that can happen, um, a little case study, and then we can just we can spend a few minutes um, discussing some some of the questions that arise or we haven't talked about arising from from this bill. And this story is about um, a, a woman in Kaikoe who is a community leader there, Kelly Van Galen. And uh, she got sentenced originally to two years in prison for the possession of cannabis when, when uh, police found a bucket of, of leaves in her house when they were, went there for another reason, for another matter. And uh, it was a lot. It was a lot by weight. It was um, six eight hundred and eighty four grams. Um, yes, that's that's uh, below a little bit over half a kilo. Um, and when she went, and of course the legal amount for for personal use is twenty eight grams presently. And. Um, she, it says that um, Kelly was a member of the Kaikoi Hokianga Community Board, the chair of the Kaikoi Community Arts Council, and promotions manager for the Kaikoi Business Association. In 2014, she was honoured with a local hero medal in the run-up to the New Zealander of the Year Awards. Kelly's defence lawyer provided 32 references demonstrating good character. Um, and these were coming in when people heard about what had happened. They weren't even solicited. Um, she was so um, valued by the local community. And the, the references came including from a former mayor, a principal, and a pastor. But despite her role as a leader in the community and no evidence suggesting intent to distribute, Judge McDonald sentenced Kelly to two years in prison. The harshness of the sentence was widely criticised. Kelly spent three months in jail before a court of appeal quashed her conviction and, re and granted a retrial. 
she was immediately, ultimately sentenced to community work and home detention. Um, but she, of course, she had to resign all her positions. She was separated from her kids, and um, it was um, highly traumatic. And it struck me that that she said that she agreed to to um, um, plead guilty in the end because she had no money for lawyers and she just wanted the, the whole thing to get over and done with. And I was reading something about um, uh, African-American defendants in court in, in the States who would just do exactly the same thing, having no funds to mount a defense. They would just... Um, make a plea just to, to get the thing over with and then of course the consequences would be dire if they were sent to jail. So this is an, this is an issue for um, the Maori community and, and uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing pattern that Maori get convicted more often uh, than Pākehā. So it's complex. It's complex, and and um, we, if we ta if we go back to to um, the precept and the spirit of this precept, just a few words from of Yasutani Roshi's commentary on this. Um, not to not to cause others to take a intoxicants, nor to do so myself. Intoxicants here does not refer only to material intoxicants. Non-material intoxicants are likewise prescribed. What are non-material intoxicants? All ideas based on the dualism of self and other held by ordinary individuals. Introducing these intoxicants causes great darkness. Things become topsy-turvy. If people just re refrain from imbibing the liquor of dualism, the true spirit of great awareness would be manifested. So if we, we can um, look at this precept and take it at the literal level, which would just mean um, no selling or buying of intoxicants, um, or we can broaden out and take in the wider picture. What is the, what is the greatest good here? Or we can... Um, look at this virtue-based way of understanding ethics and uh, what is the inner effect, what's the effect on our, on our mind stream or on, on the, the, the soul of the, the society. I guess that would be so to say what is, what, in what way do we most enhance wisdom and compassion when we look at this question. What is the most what is the most wise response and what is the most compassionate response? What what contributes most to the to the to the well being of all? Okay. <laughs> we can stop here. Uh, I think we have a little bit of we can have a little bit of time if just people want to make a 
make a comment and um, or anything from your own experience. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There are ten of us here, so that means if we uh, if we all tried cannabis at some point, likely that we have in our lives, um, there might be one here, a person here who would struggle with with addiction if they used it. Or there may be somebody listening in, there's no one Zendo who would be in that situation. But anything that people would like to um, add here. I just wondered if there was anything in what you had read about uh, does the illegality of cannabis at the moment um, make it more attractive for some people, like particularly young people? I mean, I remember from my own youth that you know, we were supposed to have alcohol and things below a certain age, and of course that made it all more attractive and we wanted it more. Is that, is that a factor in this? Uh, I guess that would help. You know, if that was a factor, then um, might be an argument more for legalisation, I suppose. I didn't see anything about that. Hmm. Anything about whether legalisation made it more attractive. That really surprised me is firstly, why is it? Why are they going to uh, not legalisation? Why, why don't they decriminalise it first? I just don't, can't understand the, the big step to legalisation instead of uh, decriminalisation. You know, um, which I would have thought would have been a much more logical step to take because um, you know, legalisation for me is really about commercialisation, which worries me. Um, because the money, the advertising, I know they'll put all these rules around it, but it will turn into an industry for sure. Um, and uh, But I, it, it, it really shocks me when I hear stories about, like what that you just shared about that lady. And um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, and so that, that's, 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 that, that's just... That's a question why, why, why the big step, why from this to that uh, is one thing. And the other thing, um, I, I do feel um, yeah, that, that middle ground would be very helpful. And, and I, I have got some experience with um, people that use the, the oil for, for pain relief and something there that really, um, it's very expensive. And, uh, and I would imagine that it could be made um, in a, in a sort of a homeopathic type way. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I would imagine um, New Zealanders are pretty uh, resourceful people. So if they could grow some plants themselves and, and produce that themselves, I think that would be a, a really uh, cheap option for people to have pain relief instead of some really serious drugs. Um, I know that um, from personal experience that oil is very effective. Uh, so that is another part of it that sort of makes me think, well, 
Um, Yeah, you need two specialists for a start. I mean, just to get it is... It, yeah. It's expensive. Just the signal too, when it's legalised, it really brings it out there that this is really societally okay, you know. Um, and uh, and it, it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you know, it's a personal opinion, but especially for younger people just coming through, I just that worries me when it's when it's made that so so clear that it's it's legalised. This is okay society-wise, whereas the decriminalises this edge of it. Yes, a lot of personal opinion. You know, that's um, I'm just speaking from my own perspective of um, the least harm um, that to be done. I mean, for myself personally, where I am at now, I wouldn't use drugs like that, nor would I encourage anybody to. So I don't uh, think that um, you know, I'm not going to cause more problems. And I, don't, I think most people would probably be in that situation, particularly when they get to, towards my age. And um, the least harm would be if um, it didn't impact on people like... Um, women in Kaikoui uh, and thousands and thousands of other people. Um, so I, I don't think it, it doesn't come there's no question of um, me doing harm to anybody else by encouraging or to myself but in order for there to be less harm I feel like uh, legalisation or decriminalisation is certainly a better option. That's my own No, I didn't read that anywhere either. Um, 
and there is always, I think, when 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 money is involved, there's always the the danger of, of a kind of something that's a bit corrupt happening. You know, um, and that's where we can it can feel a bit uncomfortable if the if the government is getting in there and benefiting, benefiting kind of. Um, it's not clean, it's not sort of not clean, but then obviously the criminalisation doesn't work. It hasn't worked. You know, there's very high usage, and um, it, you know we're putting all these people in jail, ruining many lives, and yet there's very high use. So, um, and I guess if if you if you're going to do the controlling, then you need to finance. You need to finance it. So it's it's one of those complex ethical questions. <laughs> so I guess it all comes back, you know, we're taught in Buddhism that it all comes back to motivation. Is the motivation really to cause less harm or is are there other other motivations in there? Because that will determine how much harm there is going on. Want, there are people, going to be people out there who want to smoke it, whatever. It, and so, vote, I, I had, I was talking to a friend when I was in Christchurch. She wants, who says he plans to vote against it, because he thinks it's a horrible thing, and he never, never was interested in any kind of drug or alcohol. So therefore, he's going to vote against it. But that's only thinking about his individual reaction to the problem, not the greater good issue. And and I think well, there's a bunch of people out there who are always going to. Uh, sort of at a sociological level, there's always going to be people who want to take alcohol or tobacco or marijuana or whatever, and so it's better to have it out in the open and, and regulated. And so I, I just think, yeah, um, I did read an article which I was going to forward to you, but I didn't. But it was pretty much making the argument of looking at the greater good issue rather than one's individual convictions about it. Yeah. And and then they and it's not that harmful. This is smoking an occasional glass of wine is not yeah. going to be that harmful either. So that's in that that's in factor two. Well, I think unless there's anything else anything final comments we'll we'll stop there. And we're going to um, recite the four vows and then Peter will do the acceleranda for us to stand up for the three prostrations, but we just, rather than the three prostrations, because we're still not prostrating on the mat for COVID reasons, we just do a bow to the Buddha and a bow to each other, and then the dead beat in the usual way. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service, or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.